I wanted to start, guys, by saying it's never too late and never too early to start following God's will. Right now, today, you can start living daily in God's will. I wanted to throw out a question just to have you think about why would you want to do God's will in the first place? Anybody want to throw back an answer? That's very good, Eliana. Because we love him. And what else? That's very good. What else? My will. Exactly. Right? My will doesn't always work out so well. There is a way that seems right to man in the end it leads to death. Anybody remember that one? It's very true. Sometimes we can mess things up pretty bad. I think Eliana is uh, trying to drop a hint there. That she is hungry. She is interested in eating. So anyway, it's never too late, guys. And it's never too early. So I would encourage you that as we talk today, that you make it your determination to start applying God's will daily in your life and to start walking in it. Not to say that you haven't, but we can all do that more. We can all have that renewed conviction to follow Him daily. And I wanted to start with a story that Jesus told in Matthew 21, 28 through 30. And I'm going to give you the background. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. They tried to trap him. And so Jesus responds to them, and he says, okay, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. And he asks them, who was John the Baptist sent by? Was he sent from God or not? And Pharisees freak out. They realize if we say that he was sent from God, all the people that are here are going to ask, well, why in the world didn't you follow him? And if we say that he was sent from man, all people are going to get mad at us because they're convinced that he was from God. So the Pharisees are totally trapped. I love how Jesus did this all the time. He'd always trap them. Okay, so the Pharisees go, we have no idea. We don't know how to answer this. And so Jesus proceeds to tell them a story. Imagine, these people think they're following God's will, right? They're the highest followers of the law. They've got all their ducks in a row, all their T's crossed, all their I's dotted. They are the people that you would look at in that society and say, if anybody's following God's will, it's them. And Jesus proceeds to tell them this. What do you think? This is in Matthew 21, 28 through 30. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? And the first they answered. Shorty, if your dad said, Hey, we need to go work in the farm. And you said, Forget it. And then you did it. That's a lot better than saying that you would do it and not doing it, right? I mean, you got it done. And see, what Jesus was talking about here is there are a lot of us who initially, we kind of went our own way. But then when Christ came into our life, we made the decision, from now on, I'm going to follow you. And then he's kind of saying, now look at you Pharisees. You guys are the ones that are telling everybody you're all godly and everything. But inside there's nothing there. You're not really following God's will. The things that really matter to God's heart, you guys aren't doing. You guys aren't loving people. You guys aren't caring for people. The things that are close to his heart, they weren't doing. And so then he looks right at the Pharisees. He says, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven before you. Can you imagine this? Boom, he cuts them right to the core. The issue isn't how holy we can look or how good we can look to others, but it's where's my heart and do I really want to follow what God has for me or not. And it doesn't matter how many mistakes I've made in the past. Right? The prostitutes and the tax collectors were two of the most reviled people in that society. And he says it doesn't matter. They're entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of the most holy in that society. Because they'd had a change of heart where they said, from now on I'm following God's will. And so I wanted to start with that and encourage each of you to start out with that same conviction that from today on, regardless of my past, 
I want his will, not mine. And we're going to get into a lot of the practicalities of this. But I wanted to put it this way, guys. God only reveals his specific will to you, get this, when you're doing his general will. Does that make sense? I hear a lot of Christians ask things like, I'm not sure who I'm supposed to marry. But they're not even getting in the Bible every day. They're not even praying. God isn't so concerned with revealing specific areas of his will, like who you're supposed to marry, where you're supposed to live, where you're supposed to work. If you haven't started surrendering, the general areas of his will. Does that make sense? He's called all of us as Christians to certain things. We talked about those last night. Growing and loving him. Growing and loving each other. Growing, guys, and sharing our faith. Growing and making disciples. Growing and becoming more and more Christ-like. Letting him produce his fruit in us. Those are all different areas and there are many more of his general will for all of us as believers. Now, if I'm throwing those out the window and unconcerned with those, it would be very foolish for me to then act like I'm very concerned about what God specifically wants me to do. God's saying, be faithful with little first, Luke 16.10. And then, you can be faithful with more later. So, before we can start knowing what God's will is for us, it really takes a heart where we say, I'm willing to obey Him today where I'm at, with what I already know is His will. And I put it like this. There are some Christians... How many of you guys have seen the four spiritual laws? This is a short description of the gospel. And a lot of Christians come to Russ and Aaron and I, and they say, I hate the four spiritual laws. Why do you hate the four spiritual laws? They're so impersonal. Oh my gosh, non-Christians don't like the four spiritual laws. We say, really? I've seen countless people put their trust in Christ after hearing the four spiritual laws. And I've shared these hundreds of times, and I've never once had somebody get mad about it. In fact, a lot of people that I share with, they say, can I take that home, please? And I say, yes, I have many copies. Here, you can take it home. Okay? And, and then they take it home. You know what's really behind this when we hear this? Across the board, we ask a clarifying question. Is the four spiritual laws, or do you just not want to share your faith? Because anybody that's ever saying this, if you look at their life, they're never sharing their faith in the first place. Not usually. Now, I wanted to say that because here's the deal. If my attitude is, I refuse to share my faith. We've actually had students in the past come to us and say, if you talk about sharing my faith again, I'm never coming back to your ministry. And Russ and I and Aaron, we go, that's fine. God did not tell me, do anything you can to keep so-and-so in your ministry. He said, share his word with people and encourage them to grow how he wants us to grow. And sometimes that won't be fun. Even Jesus, he shared some hard things. And a lot of his disciples leave him. And then the twelve come to him. And Jesus, he doesn't go, please don't leave, you guys. Please don't leave. He says, uh, hey, uh, you guys going to leave too? It's just totally casual. Aren't you guys leaving? Like, what are you guys hanging around for? And Peter says, where else will we go? Only you have the words of life. So what I'm saying, guys, is sometimes we don't like what God calls us to. And we have two choices. We can get mad at the person that's encouraging us in that and say, forget it. You can't make me. Or we can say, I'm going to surrender to you, God. And even though I don't like this issue, I'm going to be obedient. Now, you don't have to use the four laws. There are many ways to share your faith. But that's a really good tool. And it works. I just use that as an example. So here's the deal. We talked about these three circles yesterday. And I kind of wanted to start out with two of them. So I'm talking again about being obedient to God's general will first before his specific. Okay. Remember this, self is on the throne, Christ is not on the throne. This person is a believer, they have Christ in their life, they're going to be in heaven. But this person is saying, hmm, I don't have to share my faith, you can't make me, okay? 
Or, I've had guys actually tell me, it's okay for me to look at pornography. It's art, and I like the pictures for their artistic value. <laughs> I had a guy tell me that once. He said, you are lying to my face. You do not like it for artistic value. Uh, or we have people that will say, I don't have to read my Bible. That's these guys. You know, I truly believe Christ is in their life. I guess that's between them and God. But they are choosing to not let Christ be on the throne. They're choosing to not let Christ direct their life. They're not being obedient to what God has already told them generally to do. Okay, next, a real tiny little Christ on the throne circle. I feel like maybe 90% of my life is over here, right? And maybe 10% is right here. You guys ever feel that way? So I'm, I'm going between them like this, and I'm going between them like this. Self on the throne is the major one. Okay? And sometimes I'm like, oh, why can't I just live here? But it's so hard. I'm, it's so small. It's so tiny. Paul talked about this in Romans 7. Any of you guys remember that? That's what Paul said. The good I want to do, I don't ever do. The bad I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Okay, a lot of Christians might say, that's just like me. See, I'm just like the Apostle Paul. Well, Paul grew from there. He didn't just stay there, right? Uh, at the end of that chapter, he talks about the way out of that, and that being Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want to get at, guys. Over here, we have a different scenario. What do you think the big circle here is? Christ on the throne. And self is not on the throne. And maybe over here, we have a little tiny self on the throne. Does that make sense? Maybe this is now 10%. And this is now 90%. Okay, 1 John 1, 7 tells me if anyone says that he's without sin, he's a liar and the truth isn't in him. So I know that I'm never going to be perfect here all the time. But I get more and more like Christ. And self on the throne, it gets smaller and smaller. This guy cuts in front of me and I get really mad and I tell him, you stupid idiot. It's so funny. A friend of mine once told me, I cuss when people get mad at me in traffic. I'm sure you would never do that. And I said, well, it definitely has been a long time since I used an official cuss word, okay? But I'll call him a stupid idiot jerk, which I'm pretty sure is about the same thing in God's eyes. <laughs> Just because it's not four letters probably doesn't mean it's much different, right? The heart's the same. And so anyway, so here's the deal. I can come, right, between these two, but this is getting much bigger. The circle with Christ on the throne is getting much bigger. Now what I want to say, guys, is, this is, this, this is where you understand God's specific will for your life, too. Because God is in control of every aspect of my life. And in that context, He can lead me. See, if I'm in control of my whole life, He can't really lead so well. So I'm sitting here going, what do you want me to do next, God? What do you want me to do next, God? And He's saying, well, first of all, let me have control of your life. And then, then we'll get to what comes next. Now, I want to encourage you, if you feel like this is your life over here, Romans 7... I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. If you feel like that is typically the case of your life, there is hope as you keep your eyes on Christ. He's going to bring you to this point, and this is where Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he says, the life I now live, I live through faith. It's not even me living, but it's Christ living through me. How cool is that? Remember how Russ talked about, I have all these different areas of my life, and Christ lives his life through those areas? Okay, so I'm impacting my teacher over here for Christ, and we've had multiple teachers come to Christ because students shared with them, so your teachers aren't off-limits. Okay, you have your other students that might hear about Christ through you. You might have a family member that you can encourage over here. You might have another Christian that needs a verse from you. You can help them out over here. 
you might have this poor person over here that you can buy lunch for, even though you're a college student. You're still one of the richest people in the world. It's true. And so you can even give up some of your flex dollars and maybe buy a hamburger for somebody that doesn't have so much. Who knows, guys? But what I'm saying is, Paul says, I'm not even living my life now. It's Christ living through me. And you're going to get there. We're all going to get there as we keep our eyes on Him. Now here's what it takes. And Russ mentioned this last night. It takes time. 2 Peter 3, 9. Be patient with yourself. God is patient with you, it says. So don't expect to be like this tomorrow morning. Because it might take a little while. But that's okay. Keep your eyes on Christ, not on yourself. And He'll get you there. So it takes time. What else does it take? It takes truth. you got to keep eating truth, like Russ said. If you keep eating truth, you're going to get there. It takes something else. It takes grace. Grace is God's unmerited kindness in our lives. And a pastor that I cherish and hold dearly, Pastor Norm Schultz, once told me, Nate, never call it unmerited again. Because as his son, you now deserve his grace. Not because of you, but because he made you his son. So now as a son, he is fully giving me his grace constantly. Okay, not because I deserve it, because of what I did, but as his son now, it is coming to me. So I need truth, I need grace, and I need time, and all that encompassed by the Holy Spirit, guys. If you read 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, the Holy Spirit is transforming me into God's character. So, give yourself a little bit of room, keep your eyes on Jesus, and he's going to make you this person. And what I want to encourage you with is, the more you're becoming this person, the more you're going to be ready to understand what God's will is. That make sense? So that's kind of the foundation. So we're just going to get into everything now, but I really wanted to start there. If we're not following His general will for our life, growing closer to Him, loving Him more, loving others around us, sharing our faith, furthering His kingdom, making disciples of all nations, becoming more and more Christ-like through His work in me, if I'm saying no to those things, then I'm going to end up with a lot of confusion about specifically what God wants in my life. And this is where you see Christians bouncing back and forth and back and forth. This church, that church, that church, that church. This ministry, that ministry, that ministry, that ministry. This job, that job. This school, that school. This boyfriend, that girlfriend. This husband. Divorce, 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 divorce. You see this in the Christian world and it's terrible. This is not what God wants. Well, why is that happening? Because people won't get to this point of putting Christ on the throne first. And that's the only way that we can know specifically what God has for us next. He wants us to be faithful with little first. Luke 16.10, if you're taking notes. And get this, He wants you to be faithful with little, guys, for the sake of the little. We're not faithful with little just because that's the stepping stone to the next thing. We're faithful with little because... That's where God builds me. That's where God develops me. That's where I grow closer to God. So whatever God has called me to today, I want to do that with 100%. Everything. You're a college student right now. Do that 100%. Your jobs right now. It might not be the job that you expect to have as a career. Cookie, you might not want to work at Cold Stone until you're 74. I hope not. I mean, unless you really love ice cream. But work that job as unto the Lord, guys. Right now, be faithful with what you're doing for the sake of just being faithful. Not as a stepping stone to the next thing. And let God develop you right there. Okay, now again, it's God that's growing us. 1 Corinthians 3.6. He's the one that's growing us. And as He grows me, I can actually become who He wants me to be so that I can know what He wants me to do. 
Okay, so now think about Jonah. Any of you guys remember the story of Jonah? Jonah 1, verses 1 through 2, God calls Jonah and gives him a plan in verse 3 for his life. Jonah, this is what I have for you. Anybody remember what Jonah does after that? He runs. He says, God, forget it. I will not go to Nineveh. Not going to happen. I'm doing my own thing. And this is the Christian that says, share my faith, whatever. You can take a hike. I'm not sharing my faith. Okay, well, people can react like this to what God calls us to, just like Jonah did. Okay, now if you go read Jonah, when's the next time that God speaks to Jonah? After. But after, Jonah does something. Jonah repents. Jonah finally says, God, I am sorry for running. Boom, God starts talking right away. See, when Jonah was running, God's kind of like, okay, I'm going to be silent, and I'm going to let you do your thing, and I'm going to let you run, and I'm going to let you have a lot of fun with all that guilt and stuff that's eating you up on the inside, and I'm going to let you get thrown off a ship and swallowed by a big, disgusting fish. And a lot of us probably feel that way, but see, God wasn't going to talk to him until he was ready to repent and say, okay, God, now you get to say what goes. I'm not running my own way anymore. And it's the same thing for us. God wants us to come to the point where we say, I'm ready to obey you. And when we say, I'm ready to obey, God says, okay, now I'm ready to lead you and guide you. If I'm running, God's going to let me run because he respects my free will. He's not going to force me to obey his will. He's going to let me go. Now, compare Jonah's attitude to Paul's. In Acts 9, 5 through 6, Paul at the time, Saul, is told, go into the city and you'll be told what to do. This is right after his Damascus Road experience. And what does it say Paul does in verses 15 through 18? It says, Paul obeys at once. I want to be that kind of person. God says, do this, and I say, okay, I'm going to obey at once. You don't have to drag me around through the mud for six years. I'm going to obey. And then God leads me, just like he led Paul. He tells him specifically, okay, this is the next step. This is the next step. So evaluate. If you feel like you have a really hard time knowing what God has for you, evaluate whether you have a heart to obey him in the first place. Because that, that has to come first, before God's going to lead me and direct me. So it's very important that we have that heart to be obedient to God. And if we're not being obedient to him, he's not going to lead me until I get to that right point. We have to seek God's will with the right attitude. Obedience motivated by love. I used to do this. God, which girl do you want me to marry? Because there are so many cuties. Okay. Well... That wasn't obedience motivated by love. That was just my own desires, right? See, when I come to God and I say, you know what, I want a wife that's going to be furthering your kingdom alongside with me for the rest of my life. My desires then are on the same page with God's, and He can start leading me. So here are some important characteristics of knowing God's will. God is eager to reveal His will to you. Psalm 127.1 God does not want to hide His will from you. He wants you to know His will. God is not obligated to reveal His will if you aren't willing. Check out John 17, 7. It's not like God has to give you His will if I have a heart that does not want to obey Him in the first place. He can say, I'm going to wait till your heart is right. God's will is often in line with your desires when you're living the Spirit-filled life with Christ on the throne. Okay, Psalm 37, 4 says that He gives me the desires that I have in my heart, as I, what, delight in Him. So as I'm growing closer to Him, He's changing my desires. How many of you have ever had a changed desire? How many of you guys used to like one thing, and now all of a sudden you find yourself liking something totally different? And you go, wow, how'd that happen? 
okay, God changed me. He's changing me. Russ used to say he didn't want to fully surrender to God when he was a college student because he's afraid that God would make him drive a Volkswagen and stand on street corners handing out tracts and yelling at people that they're going to go to hell. Okay, and he didn't want to do that. Well, who would want to do that, right? But as he totally surrendered, God gave him a heart to spend his entire life furthering God's kingdom. Our desires change in line with God's will as we draw near to Him. God expects us to use sanctified common sense, not emotionalism or mysticism. That means God wants you to use your brain. We'll talk more about that later. He didn't give it to you for nothing. God won't lead you into failure. If you follow God's will, Psalm 37.5, Romans 8.28, He will work everything that happens in your life back for your good. Everything. Not some. Everything. As I follow Him, it will always be the best way. There will never be a better way. You'll never get to the end of your life and think, I should have just done it my way. God's will is always in the present tense. It's a lifestyle. God's will isn't 20 years from now, it's today. A lot of people think, I'll start obeying God when I graduate from college. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure if you don't do it now, it won't happen later. Or I'll start sharing my faith when I'm married. Probably not. See, right now God wants me to begin a life of obedience to Him today. Right now, where I'm at. Again, being faithful with little. So His will is always in the present tense. He doesn't just give me His will for 30 years from now. He says, today, take this step. And then I take that step. And then He says, tomorrow, take this step. And then I take that step. And sometimes He will reveal what's coming in the future, but only when I'm doing what He's calling me to in the present today. So His will is in the present. It's not way out there. Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 6. You can check that out. God won't reveal His will for your entire life all at once. Thank God. It would probably blow you out of the water. You'd probably be so intimidated and insecure that you would never accomplish it. Psalm 32.8 God may not reveal more of His will to you if you're being disobedient to what He's already given you. Again, the whole Jonah example. God's will is always in agreement with His word. God wants you to be careful about who you go to for advice. I'll share a lot of these principles later as far as steps to knowing God's will. But Isaiah 8, 19-20, Psalm 1, 1. We want to seek God's wisdom, not our own. And not just human wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5-6. Okay, so be careful about who you go to for advice. God's will is about a relationship, not a situation. Focus on Him, not the circumstance. If my focus is God's will... I'm dead in the water. If my focus is God, I'm going to learn His will. He needs to be my focus, not just His will. A lot of people want to know so badly what His will is, but it's been three weeks since they talked to Him. Or three weeks since they got in the Word. God wants me to focus on Him first, and in that context, I can know His will. So it's about a relationship. It's not about knowing His will, per se. So focus on Him, not the circumstance. The first half of John 15 is important there. God's will cannot be improved upon. It's perfect, guys. 1 Corinthians 2.9, he says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived what God has in store for those who love him. Nothing you could ever come up with for yourself would match what God has for you. So you cannot do better than God's will. You could never outdo it. You could never live a life that surpasses what his will is. So knowing God's will is a lifestyle that flows out of relationship with him. Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So God has a plan for your life. He has a specific will for your life. You did not 
come into this earth just to be a mindless robot clone. God has something specific for you. Kirby, God's going to do things with you that he could never even do with me. I don't have the same strengths that you have. God did not make me like he made you. So he's going to use you in ways he could never use me, or Aaron Mulcair, or Gunner, or any of us. Jordan, same thing with you. God's given you talents and abilities that he wants to use in specific ways to further his kingdom. And I, I was not built with those. Ephesians 2.10 says that you're his workmanship, or you're his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in. He's already made you as a masterpiece, as, as a specific work for a specific plan that he prepared before you were even born. Now I get to walk daily in that. Sometimes I wonder, what does God have in my day planner for 3 o'clock next Tuesday? Isn't that kind of an interesting way to think about it? Because it's true. It's not like God just really doesn't care. And a lot of Christians believe this lie, and I'll throw this out there right now. A lot of Christians believe this lie that as long as you abide by certain godly principles, he's okay with whatever you do. As long as I love people, and I don't hurt people, then I'll be fine in life. I will naturally be falling into God's will all over. That's not the case. There are very specific steps at times that God wants you to take. And actually, that is a fundamental theology of a Christian cult, of a breakaway cult, called the children of God. They say, as long as you love everybody, you're just naturally going to be obeying God's will. You know what the fruit of that philosophy is in that cult? And one of the reasons they're considered a cult? They actually have flirty fishing, is what they call it. Flirty fishing. Which means you share Christ by having sex with non-Christians. To try and help them experience God's love. Okay? They think this is our way of spreading God's kingdom. And it's crazy. They pray and they evoke their spiritual spaceships to help their prayers be more effective. They become lunatics. Well, you guys, whenever we start believing lies like this, that's the result. We start to lose our minds the way Christ intended us to have them. We start to get way off track. So what I want to say is don't believe this lie that God really doesn't care what you do. As long as you abide by these general principles, you'll be fine. God does have a specific will for you, and he said it right in his word. So I want to know what it is, don't you? Don't you guys want to know what it is? We're about to find out what it is. So how do I know God's will? First of all, it's very different than the world's way of determining what to do. How does the world decide what it's going to do? How do your friends make their decisions? If it feels good, do it. Isn't that the predominant philosophy of our day? If it feels good, do it. What else, guys? Any mini miny mo. Yeah. <laughs> you guys making fun of Alaskans again. Mm, not very nice. Anyway. Any mini miny mo. Random. Oh, whatever. And I'll just do this. That apathy. That's a great way to put it. Whatever happens, happens. You know. Whatever happens, happens. Okay, what else? Tradition. That's huge. That's huge. Everybody else always did it this way, so I might as well also. What else? Peer pressure is a huge one. So many people do what they do just because somebody told them to do it. Right? And your mom always said, if they walk off a cliff, are you going to walk off a cliff or something like that? And it sounds silly, but it's so true. Do I do what my friends do just because they said to do it? At some point, a rational adult comes to the place in life where they say, look, just because my friends are stupid doesn't mean I have to be stupid. It's true. I don't have to follow them in just whatever they do. Okay, what else What else does the world say? Anything else come to mind? Yeah. It's all about me 
And it's all about, if, if I'm the strongest, if I'm the coolest, if I'm the smartest, selfish ambition, the Bible calls it. Okay? And it says that's dead wrong. I think you guys got most of them. That's how the world does it. God's way is opposite of that. But see, a lot of Christians believe that knowing God's will is a lot like those things. In fact, I talked to the Christian this week. It says, I really think that I'm in the wrong place. So I said, why is that? I just don't feel right. Okay, is there a verse in the Bible that says, listen to your feelings, that'll direct you in God's will. <laughs> Honestly, guys, Russ has a great quote. I wrote it in my Bible. If faith had a feeling, it would probably be fear. If faith had a feeling, it would probably be fear. When God says, share your faith, do any of you guys in this room go, oh my gosh, it gives me warm fuzzies. I get to be vulnerable and take a risk for Christ, and it just feels like I'm sitting in a hot tub. <laughs> no, right? That's not the case. Don't you kind of get like a little shiver up your spine and go, oh, <laughs> can I put that off for about 73 years? I remember I was in a math class. It was my freshman year, and I said, okay, everybody, we're going to go around the room and tell, tell us what's most important in your life. As soon as the teacher said that, I knew I had to say my relationship with Christ is most important in my life. And I was so scared. Oh, my gosh. I was pretty much the last person in the room. And as it's going around the room, I'm just like almost hyperventilating in my chair. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> it finally gets around to me and I said, My name is Nate Herbst. The most important thing in my life is my relationship with Jesus Christ. Leah does this all the time in her classes. She shares with the whole class. Now, that's the deal, guys. I would put it out there that most likely, if you're scared out of your mind, that's probably what God wants you to be doing. Okay? And if it's uncomfortable, good chance it's, it's God that's directing it, okay? <laughs> In most things, it's definitely not always the case. I like to tell you guys, some of you guys have heard this, get yourself in a situation where if God doesn't show up, you're dead, okay? Get yourself in a situation where if God doesn't show up, you're dead. He has to show up or I'm going to look very foolish. Okay, my feelings are not what direct me. But as Christians, we believe these worldly lies. We start to believe my feelings are, are the best determination of what God has for me. If we go by our feelings, we won't accomplish anything for God. Because do our feelings ever want to do what's uncomfortable? Do they ever want to take a risk? Do they ever want to get out of a comfort zone? Do they ever want to grow? Growing isn't fun, is it? It hurts. You guys ever heard of growing pains? I remember when I was growing up. You guys can tell I grew a lot when I was young. Uh, but anyway, whenever I did have growing pains, those rare occasions, they were very painful. Growing is not always fun. Okay, guys, so don't determine what God wants you to do based on worldly principles. Tradition. I have to do this because my parents did this, and my grandparents did this, and my great-grandparents did this. So if I did anything else, they would all think I was a failure. Maybe God is saying, I want you to be a missionary somewhere. Oh, my parents were doctors, my grandparents were lawyers, I have to do something like that. No, you don't. You don't have to. I know some of my relatives think it's kind of funny that I got a degree in chemistry and I'm not using it. When I left my science job to come into full-time ministry, my whole office thought I was out of my mind. But that's okay. I don't make plans based on worldly traditions, but on what God says, right? See, God's going to correct you, right? And whatever God's calling me to, that's going to be the best. So don't determine what God's will for you is based on all these other worldly principles. Also, don't rely on what I call Christian mysticism. There was this girl that I was madly in love with. And I said, okay, God, 
if you want me to marry her, flip me to the right scripture. So I'm like, ooh, playing this little game with my Bible. Boom! Okay, Proverbs 18. He who finds a wife finds favor with God. What do you think that means? I better go marry this girl. It got me into a big mess. For two years I thought I was supposed to marry this girl. I think Satan can flip the pages of a Bible as well as anyone. <laughs> I mean, the wind can flip these pages. My dog can flip these pages. My cat has actually eaten pages out of my Bible before. Alright, just because a page flips doesn't mean it's God's will. But see, as Christians, we can play these mystical games. I'm going to turn on the radio and, ooh, there was a song about love, so I'm supposed to be with this girl, or with this guy, or whatever. That's the world system. That's playing these mystical games, and that's not what God has for us. Also, I don't need to be a Christian hedonist. I don't need to live for what benefits and pleasures me. This is like the name it and claim it movement in Christianity. God wants you to have four Lexuses in a big house. God never said that. In fact, he said, in this world you will have trouble. He says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it doesn't mean my whole life is going to be peaches and cream if I follow God. What it does mean, guys, is that I don't make decisions about what to do based on my ideas or on the world's ideas, but I base them on God's ideas. Ephesians 5.17 says, don't be ignorant, but know what God's will is. It's a command to us to know God's will. And specifically, he says, don't be ignorant about it. So, is it possible to know for sure what God's will is? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Isn't that what God wants? He does not want us to be walking around in doubt and confusion. He wants me to know very clearly what His will is. And to not be confused about that. So, I can know this. So, I'm going to give you guys ten points here. They're very good points. If you're taking notes, write these points. We'll throw them up afterwards and you can discuss them in discussion groups. But if you will follow these ten points, you will never, I promise you, ever be clueless about God's will. You'll be confident, just like he tells us to be in Ephesians 5.17. So number one, Ephesians 5.17, he wants you to know his will. I want to tie that to 5.18, because we read things in context. Anybody remember Ephesians 5.18? Be filled with the Spirit. you think there's any reason Paul combine those two concepts together? Or was it an accident? It's not an accident, is it? That's why we talked last night about being filled with the Spirit first, because it's in that situation that I can know God's will clearly. Because He's leading me. He's guiding me. He's directing me. Be filled with the Spirit by... Okay, ABCDs. Say it with me. Ask, believe, confess, desire, surrender. Okay, guys, I ask him to fill me. I believe that he does by faith alone. Confess all known sin. This is huge. Until I'm confessing that, that sin, all the known sin. There's, sin. there's sin in our life that we don't remember. You know. And thank God he's not like this judge that's just like, oh, I'm going to be a jerk now because you forgot to say a prayer for that thing. No, when God reveals sin to you, when the Holy Spirit points his finger and says, hey, Mikkel, <clears throat> shouldn't have snapped at Justin that way. When God points at that and you go, yeah, you're right, okay, confess it. Get it out. Desire Him to fill and control you. And then surrender to Him. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18. So one big point. Point number two, Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So what do I do first? I surrender to Him. 
Offer my body a living sacrifice. So surrender. Okay, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means I'm reading God's word. He's transforming my mind, and I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. See, this is the transformation that it's talking about. So it's saying as you undergo this transformation from selfish Christian or carnal Christian, as it describes in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, to spiritual Christian, as I undergo that transformation, He gives me a promise. So three things. Surrender. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then He says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay? So as I'm following those guys, I'm going to know His will every single time. It will not be a question to me. I will never be in the dark. That's pretty important. That's a pretty big deal. As I follow those things, guys, here's the context. Again, Luke 16.10, being faithful with little. And guys, 1 Corinthians 10.31, everything I do, doing it for His glory. See, if that's my heart, I'm going to be faithful, God, with whatever you give me, and I'm going to do it for your glory with 100% of what you've given me. Then He can lead me in His will. Present your body a living sacrifice. Surrender to Him daily. Don't be conformed to the world, you guys. The world has so many things. You have to look like this. You have to talk like this. You have to go to these places. You have to act like this. You have to do these things. And God says, no, you don't. You can be who I made you to be. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get in God's Word, guys, and let that transform your thinking. Let that revolutionize your thinking and then have an effect in your life. Okay, now when I've done those things... The next step, point number three, would be pray about the issue. Seek His will in prayer. Pray about it. You guys, even fast about it. I fasted, and I'm not saying this in any way to sound great, but to give you guys an example that I hope you would follow. Before Aaron and I dated, not just married, but dated, I probably fasted a cumulative 25 to 30 days that summer. I was fasting two, three days a week, usually. And sometimes I was fasting for five days at a time. I'm not saying you have to do that. But I know for me personally, it was my conviction, I do not want to date this girl unless it's God's will. So fast and pray. Mikkel, good job. Mikkel is saying the same thing with Aaron Justin. Before we got married, it was the same thing. Fast and pray. Specifically pray. But even fast. Seek God's will. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. He's going to give you... A peace that surpasses understanding, and he's going to guide your thinking. Now here's the thing, guys. A lot of Christians, when you talk about God's will, they say, Did God give you a peace about that? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like I said before, a lot of what God wants me to do doesn't involve a feeling of peace, but a feeling of fear and uncertainty. My dad took our whole family and bought one-way tickets to Romania when I was about 13 years old, sent all of our stuff ahead. What if it doesn't work out? God told us to go there. We're going. It will work out. That's that. There wasn't a whole lot of peace about that. We didn't even have a single contact in the country until three days before we flew. But we knew we were going. And we knew that we were going to stay there and that we weren't coming back. So what I'm saying, guys, don't just wait for this feeling of peace. But as I pray, God gives me His true peace about what He wants me to do. It's not just a natural feeling, but it's something that comes out of prayer and out of seeking Him. And it says He guards my mind which is a big part of knowing His will. Okay, so pray about the issue. Ask for wisdom, James 1.5. If you ask for wisdom, God gives it to you every time. 
So that's part of prayer, right? God, give me wisdom about this issue. And then God gives you wisdom about that issue. Okay, point number four, check God's word to see what God's word has to say about his will. Check what God's word has to say about that issue. What are the direct statements about that issue? And what are the principles about that issue? The Bible doesn't talk about smoking. So how do I know that I shouldn't smoke? Well, it says my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I want to do what's good for my body. Does that make sense, guys? So there are some things the Bible says don't do X. And there are other things where it gives me principles that tell me a whole lot about X. Does that make sense? So go to God's Word and see what His Word says specifically about what you feel He's calling you to. So pray. Go to His Word. Point number five. Use your mind. It's not wrong. In fact, it's biblical. God tells us to use our mind. Create a pros and cons list. Use your mind. That's not wrong, but it's in line with God's word. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says God's given you a sound mind. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, God says that he's given you the mind of Christ. And actually, the Greek there doesn't just say mind, but thinking. So as you think, God has given you the ability to think like Jesus himself thinks. How cool is that? That's 1 Corinthians 2.16. Okay? So use your thinking. So many Christians... If you say, I'm going to think this through really well to figure out what God wants me to do. I bet 90% of Christians would say, ooh, you're not very spiritual. Because they have this stupid idea that God wants us to just be these wavy, like out there, Deepak Chopras. Right? These new age mystics. God just wants me to feel this way. And then I'll know his will. No, God wants you to use the mind that he put in your head. If he didn't want you to use it, he wouldn't have put it there. Okay? He wants us to use our minds to know what he wants us to do. Not just our mind, because our thinking alone is insufficient, but he does want us to use it. You guys, he gave an entire book to this one subject, Proverbs. That's all it talks about is wisdom. Wisdom, again, is knowledge applied. So God gives me the knowledge, and then I apply that, and that's wisdom. Okay, so use your mind. Create a pros and cons list. Sit down and write it out. God, what do you want me to do here? And then just start, ask him to guide your thinking and start writing. Because he will oftentimes guide your thinking in a way that you would never imagine. There was a time at work, before I came on staff here, where I had the opportunity to go to a much higher paying job. But it would involve kind of slapping my boss in the face a little bit. My boss had turned me down for an interview, for a promotion. Even though I was the only person qualified for that promotion. And the other department, the water quality department, I was in air quality, they said, hey, if you want that same job in the water quality department, it's yours. I thought about it. This is going to be like ten dollars to $15,000 more a year for my family. It's going to be a lot more prestige, a lot more, and all this. And as I worked through the pros and cons list, I came to the conclusion God wanted me to stay where I was at, to show humility in my workplace, to show Christ-likeness in my workplace. I was the only one that knew how to do that job. If I left, they'd be stuck. So God gave me this desire, stay where you're at, do it for my glory, and don't worry about taking the promotion. So I told the water quality people, I can't do it. I'm going to stay where I'm at. Well, like two weeks later, the person that they hired for the position never showed up for air quality, and they gave the position to me. So I ended up getting it. But you know what? God preserved my witness for him in that workplace. Because they saw that I wasn't just going to do something shady and take more money or take more prestige. So sit down and think through those pros and cons. God will direct you, and it's not often what you think he would direct you in. Sometimes it's very much contrary to what you would think initially. 
Okay, point number six, evaluate your desires. This is huge. Just because you want something or like something or desire something does not mean that it's wrong. In fact, if you're over here, guys, in the circle where Christ is in control, and as you're growing closer to Him and being filled with His Spirit, He is going to change your desires. We've read that verse a few times. Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself in Him, He'll give you the desires of your heart. So this is what's so cool. A lot of times, you can think, what's God's will for me? What is He putting a passion in you for? Because He's going to develop your desires. And you're going to start to have passions. Golly, I love kids. I can't believe how much I love kids. Maybe God wants you to work with kids. I love college students. Maybe God wants you to work with college students. I love farmers and ranchers. Maybe God wants you to work with farmers and ranchers. See what God develops in your desires and follow Him. Okay, point number seven. Evaluate your talents and giftings. What's God made you really good at? In Romans 12, 3 through 8, it continues after talking about knowing God's will. It talks specifically about how God gives you different talents and abilities. And to each one of us, it's different. I'm not gifted like Russ is. Or like Leah is, or Mark, we all have different abilities, giftings, talents, okay? Those aren't the main thing. In fact, Ravi Zacharias, who I love a lot, he's an amazing guy, he said, your calling must precede your gifting. If you're so interested in what you're gifted in, you're going to miss the boat. A lot of people say that, I'm not doing evangelism because I'm not gifted with it. Well, how the heck do you know you're not gifted with it? You've never done enough to find out, you know? But the bottom line is the Bible never said do it because you're gifted at it, right? The Bible said do it. And some people will be more gifted than others in it. That's great. It doesn't mean the ones that aren't so gifted shouldn't do it. Think of it like this. If your gift is not hospitality, should you be a jerk to everybody that comes to your house? <laughs> Somebody comes in your house, you stupid jerk, I'm not giving you nothing because my gift isn't hospitality. <laughs> okay? Well, people think this about evangelism and discipleship, but they would laugh at it if we talked about it being with hospitality. God's going to give some people with hospitality. doesn't mean I should be a jerk if I don't have that gifting. I keep my eyes on Christ. I follow Him in all these areas. But on top of that, you're going to find, as you follow Him in all these areas, that some areas stick out. Holy cow, I'm pretty good at this, and I really like doing this. Brandon's a whole lot better at leading praise and worship than I am. You guys are real glad I didn't try to do that this morning or last night. But see, he can walk in what God's gifted him with, and it's a blessing to all of us. And you can walk in what God's gifted you with, and it'll be a blessing to all those around you. So, as you obey God, look at where He's gifted you and given you talents and abilities, because that will very likely have a lot to do with what He wants you to do in life. Point number eight, seek confirmation from godly authority, from older Christians that have your best interest in mind. Okay, now, once you think you know what God has called you to, as you think you know what His specific will is, seek godly authority. Get confirmation from spiritual authority in your life. Go to somebody like Russ. I did this about Aaron. You guys think Russ hates people dating. That's not true. <laughs> Russ is not a kill-love person at all. But Russ has a lot more wisdom than a lot of us, right? He's lived a lot more life than a lot of us. So when I go to Russ, he might see something in my relationship with Aaron that I'm totally missing because I'm all infatuated. <laughs> right? That's how it was as a student. So as I went to him and asked him for his wisdom and guidance... God help direct me. So seek confirmation from spiritual authority. Don't just go it alone. You're in a personal relationship with God. God never made your relationship with God in a personal way so that Nate could tell you what to do with your life. Okay? We joke with Leah that we have her life planned out. 
But it's really not true. We don't. It's just a joke. But honestly, guys, God doesn't want you to go to Russ to find out what to do. God wants you to go to God to find out what to do. But good chance God's going to give Russ confirmation of that. Does that make sense? And here's the thing. Make sure that your spiritual authority or the people that you're going to for confirmation have your best interest in mind. Because there are a lot of people in a lot of ministries that would use you and run you into the ground for their own good. My parents were on staff with a ministry that did this. I watched it my entire childhood. Our way or the highway. That's that. And my parents are divorced right now. Not just because of that, but man, a lot of that stuff contributed to a real bad marriage. Because nobody cared about them. What I love about being on staff here is Russ and Linda care about Aaron and I more than they care about this ministry. They care about our good more than they care about how the retreat went. That's very valuable. Not many ministries are like that. So there have been times where Russ said, you guys need to take a weekend off. Remember that? There was a retreat, I think it was, one weekend. Or some ministry, something. It was when Austin and Laura were on staff here. And Russ and Linda said, all the staff are gone. We're going to run it this weekend. You guys get out of town and spend some time together. Because it had been a really stressful year. They were looking out for our best interest first. So when you seek godly confirmation, make sure the person you're talking to has your best interest in mind. Not just their own interests. And make sure they're the kind of person that's going to God and praying for you. If they're not praying for you, they probably aren't somebody worth talking to about what God wants in your life. Point number nine, be sensitive to his leading, evaluating that leading in light of the rest. So as you feel like God has directed you and spoken something to you, evaluate that in line with the rest of these principles. Evaluate it. Don't just say, I got this thought in my mind, it must be God, I better do it. But when you get that thought in your mind, that still small voice, Evaluate it in line with everything else. God will give you specific direction at times as far as God will speak to you. And when that happens, you should check that with biblical authority. Line it up with God's word. Does that make sense? A lot of people say this. A lot of Christians say this. Wait for a still small voice. Just wait for a still small voice. Okay, that's not biblical. I'll I'll just throw this out there. And if you've ever believed that, you weren't going to God's word and checking what his word says. There's not a verse in the Bible that tells you to wait for a still, small voice. One time, Elijah, metaphorically speaking about God, says, I looked and then I found him in a still, small voice. That's where this whole thing comes out of. And Elijah was talking about how God doesn't meet our expectations. This was never a command to Christians to wait for a still, small voice. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times that still, small voice misleads me. Okay? Because it's my mind a lot of times. I'm not saying God can't speak to you in your mind. And he does very often. And it's good to cultivate the ability to differentiate that from just my thinking. But what I'm saying, guys, is that's not the end of it. And I don't have to wait for that to take a step of faith. Okay, there have been some times where God spoke very clearly like that to me, and there have been many where he didn't. That's okay. Scripture doesn't say that's what I'm supposed to be waiting for. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God cannot speak to you very clearly right in your mind. I'm not saying that. God will give you specific direction as you follow these principles, and then he will confirm it in your thinking. He will guide you and say, yes, that's the right decision. Go for it. Austin, my accountability partner, told me this story. This guy said, God spoke to me clearly that I'm supposed to date this girl or something like that. And Austin says, how do you know it was God? And then one of the other staff guys next to Austin, he tells the kid, yeah, how do you know it wasn't Satan? (laughs) And the kid's just like, uh, I don't know. But it was a good point, guys. We need to be wise about what comes in our head and know where is this coming from. And if I can't answer a question like that, 
there are big problems. Just because a thought came in doesn't mean it's from God. So when we do think God is speaking clearly to us in our mind, and I'm not saying he doesn't do that, but when he does do that, I need to evaluate it with the rest of what he gives me as far as determining his will. Is that is always going to be confirmational. Okay? Point number 10, desire to obey what God has called you to do. And in that place, he's going to direct you. Desire to obey his will. That's a huge part in knowing it in the first place. Desire to obey it when he gives it to you. And when he gives you his will, then take that step and obey it. Now, in closing, I want to say, don't rely on the open door policy. The open door policy, what does that say? God wants me to do whatever door opens. I've heard people say this. If a job opens in Chicago, it must be God's will for me to move to Chicago. If a job opens for me in Wisconsin, it must be God's will for me to move to Wisconsin. That kind of thing. That is foolish. That's the world system. God's going to give you his will, and then he's going to open the door. A lot of times God's going to direct you in something, and the door's going to be closed. He's going to say, take a step of faith and watch the door open. He doesn't say, wait for an open door. When we graduated, we decided we're going to take two years' work, focus on our marriage, then go into full-time ministry. So for those two years, we were thinking, should we stay in Durango or should we move somewhere else? Because we knew we wanted to come on staff here. But there weren't many science jobs, and my degree was in chemistry. There were no science jobs, in fact. And there were no jobs. Aaron says, yeah, it, it wasn't a great job market. We prayed, and God said, stay here. It was very clear. After going through his word, after prayer, after applying all these principles, after getting confirmation from spiritual authority like Russ and Linda, we sat and talked with them. And all this was very clear. We should stay. So we said, we're going to stay. And if I have to work at McDonald's, I work at McDonald's. There was an open door in Boulder. Yeah, I got a lab in Boulder said they'd hire me. A lab in Steamboat said they'd hire me. I got offers from outside of Durango. But we said, no, we're staying. I'm not going to go anywhere. You know what? As soon as I made that decision, guys, the air quality analyst position opened up at the Southern Ute Tribe. I got that. About two months later, I got promoted to the air quality specialist. It ended up being a really good job. All I'm saying is we took the step that God had directed, and then God opened the door that wasn't open before. So don't wait for an open door. Do you feel like you could apply these principles? Are they straightforward enough that you could apply them today or tomorrow in life? I don't feel it. I know it. You know it. That's a good way to answer, Leah. I hope you guys can take this to the bank and apply it in your life. Okay, that's all I have, guys. Thank you guys so much.